wrestling program each and every week coming to you live once again it is wcw nitro live on tnt and it does not get any bigger get any better get any more exciting than nitro and what a broadcast we have for you tonight as we count down to super Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I am your host, Tim Root, and joining me, as always, are the two faces of fear. I don't have, like, clever puns for the rest of it, or, even, be, un, or even unclever puns. Can I be Sione, the wild head shrinker? Sure. <laughs> yes. And Dave, you will be Haku slash Meng. I hope it's, like, when he had the huge afro. Yes, you can be huge afro Meng. You can be, uh, what is it, like, 2002 Royal Rumble Meng? Yeah, that's, that's good that's stuff. Or Haku, I guess. Yeah. Um, I was kind of disappointed that this week didn't start off with, like, still having the nature boy at the commentator's table <laughs> that he just took over and he's there and he's like still wearing the same clothes from last week. No, what if he was just dressed like Eric Bischoff, like wearing like the planet Hollywood leather jacket, but <laughs> still just, screaming. And he, he just, he acts like he's there. He's always been there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and with me as always, it's the giant. Huh? I'm going to turn your bones into bread. <laughs> well, welcome everyone to the February 5th, 1996 episode of Nitro. Uh, We are coming to you this week from Lakeland, Florida at the Jenkins Arena in front of a full house of 7,000 fans, 4,000 whom paid for a total gate of $36,000. We want to remind you here at the top of the show that you can find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro. You can find us on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. You can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. You can find us at piledriverwrestling.net in the OSW podcast section and you can find us on the freaking awesome network at freaking awesome network dot net <laughs> that's still like the best one to say isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, it's because it's freaking without a g it's yeah. it's specific so i i really like to make sure that i say freaking awesome yeah not i'm not i'm not trying to say anything negative about osw but oh, they're both fantastic freaking awesome dot net is just like a fun one to say. <laughs> the name kept like grabs you a little more doesn't it it does uh, as Bischoff starts his uh, beginning of the show commentary, I notice that Mongo is kind of flipping through his notes and looking at them, <laughs> and he's staring at them as though someone else wrote them in a language that he doesn't understand. He looks so confused <laughs> by the rundown of the show. Uh, Pepe is wearing a redhead wig, a blue turtleneck sweater with a dickie, and a bonnet, and at no point during the show do we get an explanation <laughs> as to why he's wearing those items. It's it's better without the explanation. You know, reading it out loud makes me remember that last week I neglected to mention that he was wearing a Dracula cape, which was never explained by uh, Mongo as well. So it seems like he's at this point just going through costumes and is no longer trying to shoehorn an explanation that fits with the theme of the show. Yeah, that's You know what? That's okay. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. The less Mongo is forced to come up with a bit, the better. <laughs> right. I like my Mongo off the cuff. Thank you. <laughs> we're promised that tonight we're going to get Hogan talking to Mean Gene. We're going to get Ric Flair versus Marcus Bagwell, and we will get Sting and Luger defending against the Road Warriors. But before all that, Randy Macho Man Savage is going to defend his WCW World Heavyweight title against Chris Benoit 
who comes out to a very nice heel reaction. This crowd, uh, right from the get-go, is amped up, and they are giving you know the uh, the preferred reactions by WCW. They are booing heels, they are cheering faces, and they are into the show. Are you sure they weren't just booing because he came out with a T-shirt tucked into his tights? <laughs> That's... <laughs> That is a good reason to boo someone. <laughs> well, one thing to uh, keep in mind why they especially are booing Benoit is that he's out to face Savage, and he uh, this is pretty close to his hometown uh, of Sarasota, Florida. Yeah. So they go nuts when he comes out. This is probably the biggest babyface pop that we've heard for Savage since we started the podcast, I would say. Uh, he comes out with Woman and Elizabeth, so... Uh, no more Linda, no more uh, Hogan's sister-in-law. It's down to just Elizabeth and woman. Macho works the crowd into a frenzy uh, before finally locking up with Benoit and they grapple around the ring. Benoit takes over with some punches and he throws Macho to the outside. So, of course, we're <laughs> on the outside within 30 seconds. Nice. And runs him into the guardrail. Uh, back in the ring, Benoit draws more booze and continues to dominate Savage. Uh, I noticed that this was a brand new ref, uh, kind of a clean-shaven, short-haired guy. So for once, no mustache, no mullet. Um, I, I think every single match to this point has been Randy Anderson and Nick Patrick. So this is the first time we've been presented with a different ref. Or Charles Robinson? Nope, we haven't seen him yet. No? Uh, so this is the first time, and uh, I had to go to Twitter to get his name because I don't think they say it in this episode. Uh, some helpful people informed me that it was Jimmy Jett. Jimmy I think they j- they name drop him in the episode at some point. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Jimmy Jet. <laughs> so if you haven't watched it already, watch it again and look for the name. But I would like to specifically uh, give props to the WCW Worldwide Twitter account. They also have a great uh, WCW website that he's got a lot of scans of WCW magazines and other paraphernalia. Oh. Um, a very, very great resource for anyone interested in WCW. So check out that website. Check out his Twitter. He is fantastic. Eventually, uh, Benoit hits a snapmare and works a headlock. Savage fights his way to his feet, but Benoit hits a snap suplex. He works over Randy some more before hitting a scoop slam in Air Canada. Benoit hits a side suplex for a two count. And uh, at this point, I'm really getting tired of all of Randy's babyface matches in WCW are the Dolph Ziggler school of just selling 100% of the time, regardless of whether he's going to win or lose. Well, I mean, at this time, that was really what Bret Hart was doing a lot. He was he was like the king. I mean, I remember he, like he would face like uh, Rad Radford, yeah, and just get dominated by Rad Radford for like ten minutes, and then just suddenly pull out the win. So, I think that's I think he's kind of the model that he's probably. Unfortunately, the thing is though that's such a that's such a more of a WWF approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the babyface comes in, they get their offense in. The heel takes over. Uh, the babyface keeps getting his hope spots cut off until he either loses or he overcomes the adversity and wins. Yeah. WCW generally is a much more back and forth affair, except for Randy Savage matches. Just mm-hmm. dominated selling the entire time, and it gets so boring. I just yeah. want my I want my old Randy back. I, I kind of thought of that when we were doing last week with the Faces of Fear and the Road Warriors where we were talking about how the Road Warriors should look really strong and impressive, but yeah. that's just not – like the the enhancement match is not WCW style. Yeah. Yep. Benoit hits a leg drop and a backbreaker. After being choked in the corner for a bit, Randy shows his first signs of life by throwing Benoit outside the ring uh, by using the Crippler's tights. On the outside, he goes to run Benoit into the ring post, but Benoit counters, and instead, Savage eats some ring post. Uh, 
Back in the ring, Savage manages a clothesline uh, with the ref talking to Liz and Woman about nothing. Benoit <laughs> body drops Randy over the top rope. Uh, so apparently that disqualification rule is still in effect because the ref had to be, uh, you know, distracted. Mm-hmm. But Woman and, and Elizabeth were doing nothing to yeah. deserve it. It's bizarre. <laughs> I feel, I'm like preemptively cringing for this moment that's coming up with Benoit. <laughs> Savage then avoids uh, Tope and Benoit hits the guardrail. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? It looks rough. Oh, because yeah. not only does he, he hit the guardrail, but he looks like his head hits the foot. Yeah. On the, on, on, and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm aware that he, like, you know, he didn't die from that or that he wasn't injured. But, like, when I watched it, I, I cringed from something that happened 20 years ago. Well, and and not to get too macabre, but you and I, I, I forget the name of that book. You lent it to me, the one very tabloid like ring book. of death yes, yes on the benoit murders yeah. uh that go into detail on postulating the theory that uh brain damage was what what a partial cause of the benoit yeah murders. yeah so i mean it's one thing to see the headbutts because like occasionally he does seem to kind of protect himself but this was just like a full-on landing on the guardrail where you it, it's a miracle that like i was conscious after that yeah yeah, and it's not even like, you know, like sometimes when The Undertaker would do something similar and he'd botch it and like land like on his head, like with the full weight of his body. Mm-hmm. This is like his face hitting the guardrail. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, God. I just, I, I'm not even, it's like, it's like I got knocked unconscious because I don't remember what happened in the rest of this match. I was so <laughs> taken aback by that movie. Yeah. Not much left. I mean, uh, sorry, I won't steal your thunder. <laughs> Uh, Savage rolls Benoit back into the ring and hits him with the flying elbow. He doesn't go for the pin, though, as Flair is on the outside, kind of uh, scaring the the women folk. Uh, <laughs> Flair gets a hold of Elizabeth. Macho Man approaches him, uh, and the distraction means that Macho does not see Woman come up from behind and start choking him. <laughs> it's a heel turn from Woman. <laughs> it's <time>. a woman! <laughs> <laughs> Flair... <laughs> I get that reference. <laughs> Flair and Arn Anderson now beat Savage up as the bell rings to end the carnage. Hogan makes the inevitable save with a chair, uh, nailing Arn and Pillman. The heels retreat as Hogan and Liz check on the Macho Man. So once again, a segment ends with the Macho Man injured and Hogan <laughs> checking on him. Mean Gene comes in and interrupts Hogan, who is trying to help his friend to stand on his feet. And even for once, Hulkster turns down a live mic to focus on his friend. It's like the one time where Hogan's like, hey, you fucker, I'm trying to help this guy out. <laughs> Stop giving me so much attention. Savage's help to the back, and we go to a homo. Uh, I almost called him homo. Hey. Just a homo interview. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Gene interviews some homo in the ring. I'm cutting all this, just if that's not funny. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Savage is helped to the back, and uh, we then get a Hogan promo. He finally does talk to Gene, and let's hear uh, a clip of that promo now. What is going What's the deal here? Just a second, me, Gene. Kids, just see hurt. Wait a minute. They're trying to get Savage. Ladies and gentlemen. Savage out of been- here. What, what went on here? This does not bode well, ladies and gentlemen. Scum. For what's going to be taking place. Next Sunday on pay-per-view, last week, you Hulk Hogan, this week, the Macho Man. I don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, woman. Okay. Oh. What happened here? We know something, brother. I can tell you what happened here, brother. There's complete chaos. 
We gotta put a stop to Ric Flair. As far as I'm concerned, Mean Gene, I can see what's in front of me. It's the giant in the Bayfront Center. It's Ric Flair next. Then Sunday, hey, wait a minute. me wait and a the minute. Macho wait Man. Hold on, brother. Go talk. You know what it's gonna Flair. be. Elizabeth Hogan! Look out, Hogan! Get out of there! Oh! Wow! Flair! And all Miss oh. Elizabeth can do is look on, helpless. The backstabbing coward. Well, you're right about one thing, Bishop. There's the dirtiest player in all of sports, in the history of sports, Ric Flair. He is going after the already damaged eye. This could put Hogan out permanently and the giant stalking b 5 bum hogan you better learn how to run this psychopathic carnivore they call the giant uh, and this, hogan does oh no no this no, doesn't no, no, look no, good no, yes no, 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 no. Uh, oh no hello <laughs> like a 357 magnum going off in this arena the crowd on their feet and what is this You've got Zodiac saying, Zodiac no, telling no, him not no. to do it. Savage is back. And the giant bails out of the ring. So as you can hear, the crowd goes nuts, and Hogan has to sit there pretending like he doesn't hear it or, like, investigate why. Uh-huh. Uh, so what, what they are seeing is Flair sneaking up behind him. This is happening in full view for Elizabeth. Yeah. She can clearly see Flair sneaking up, but she does nothing. She stands there with her usual blank stare of nothingness. <laughs> and this is two weeks in a row Mean Gene interviews someone and sees someone sneaking up on him and doesn't say anything. <laughs> and uh, she's not doing... It's not like she's turning heel. She's just doing a shitty job. Yeah. Uh, and so when Flair levels Hogan, she looks, like, shocked. Like, I can't... Be- I saw him sneaking up, and I know he's, like, the most <laughs> evil guy we have, but, like... I, I didn't know he was going to do something nefarious. <laughs> I also liked it because, like, Flair sneaking up is, like, so comically over the top. Yeah. <laughs> and, every, I mean, like, it makes – it's one of those moments that makes Hogan just look extremely <laughs> dumb. Mm-hmm. She walks around expressionless while Flair reopens uh, Hulk's cut from last week. The giant walks out with the Zodiac a few feet behind him. Giant nails Hogan in the back with a chair, but Zodiac prevents any further damage. Mm-hmm. So Zodiac kind of lets him get one in and then goes back to his, like, no, friend. <laughs> you only hit friends once with chairs. <laughs> 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 Randy uh, reappears and grabs the chair and clears the ring. And so for once, the segment actually ends with Randy standing <laughs> triumphant with a chair and Hogan injured. So Hogan is really spending a lot of time uh, kind of mending fences lately, like letting other guys go over in segments and matches. And, and for him, this is mending fences with Savage, not like Savage beating him. Right. <laughs> Randy asks Liz why she didn't warn Hogan. <laughs> so maybe that was part of the storyline. Why but, indeed. Uh, and Gene claims that she tried, which is ludicrous. <laughs> you are a liar, me and Gene, because that did not happen. Um. I do have to stand corrected on something that I said uh, last week's podcast. Okay. Because I was under the impression that Hogan got busted open twice, but I was thinking of this segment. Oh, okay. I mixed it up with the last segment. So uh, Hogan still gets credit for best segment last week, but uh, this is clearly the time when he got busted open again, which is still, I think, impressive that they that they continue letting people bleed on TV. All right. After a commercial, out come Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris as we get a video recap of the incident last week between the uh, Horsemen 
and the Dungeon of Doom that led to this uh, match. That was, of course, Arn Anderson about to whip Pillman to kind of mollify the Dungeon of Doom, but Sullivan and Morris attacking Arn, Pillman failing to help, uh, then the Dungeon attacking Pillman, and Arn saving his ass and challenging the Dungeon to this tag match. Ah. <laughs> Arn and Pillman then come out, and as they head toward the ring, uh, Pillman starts to stir shit up with the crowd again, like running to the railing and yelling shit. <laughs> Bischoff acts pretty pissed about this. Uh, Arn also looks pretty angry about it. Important to note that, of course, as we've mentioned on the show before, uh, right now Bischoff and Sullivan are really the only two who for sure know that everything Pillman is doing is with the approval of management. It's a character that they're trying out. Uh, they're letting him go with this loose cannon stuff. So Sullivan and, and Bischoff know what's going on. Arn probably doesn't. Um, Bischoff says that a few guys figured it out. He specifies in his book that Hogan figured it out and that Hogan was actually quite mad at him for keeping it a secret because he just he thought he had all the power. He didn't like any secrets, even if they didn't really affect his program at all. Oh, okay. He just didn't like that it was a work being put on <laughs> that he was so, not a part of. Hulk Hogan didn't like it because it was a secret that he didn't know. Exactly. <laughs> he was he was worked, and he doesn't like that. <laughs> that's like that's like the most childish way to react. It really is. <laughs> he didn't have tangential creative control written into his contract. <laughs> <laughs> Morris starts off in the ring with Pillman. Uh, Pillman engages in a bunch of over-the-top histronics, and Morris just stands there sort of applauding and it makes sense in his character because he's crazy mm -hmm. so if he's watching someone be crazy the improvisation to act like he's enjoying it i thought was really smart yeah of uh of bill demott and we'll talk a little bit about uh what's clearly getting to bill demott the man versus the character hugh morris in this match because there's some times where he's each <laughs> <laughs> they lock up and pillman comes out with chops that morris creepily laughs off Pillman thumbs the eye, but Morris hits a big press slam. We learned that a short while ago, a match was signed for Super Brawl. That'll be a respect match between Pillman and Sullivan. It's uh, They're going to be connected by a strap, and the loser is the man who says that he respects the other one first. Ah. Uh, so it's basically an I quit match with a strap, and they say something other than I quit. Okay. Okay. I okay. can buy that. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Arn comes in to interfere, but is also press slammed by Hugh Morris. He sells this by rolling out of the ring and doing like a silly walk that makes it look like he's four and has to potty. Like he kind of <laughs> oh, walks with his yeah. knees pointed outwardly. Yeah. And then he does some very funny stretches with his back like, ah, that hurt a little bit, <laughs> but I just need to yeah, just snap this, it a little. Get this kink out right here. Oh, yeah. Um, some point around here, uh, Mongo's got another great line. He says something like, uh, Brian Pillman's like a stick of dynamite. You just don't know when he's going to go off. Yeah. And I was just thinking. I'm pretty sure you know exactly what dynamite's going to go off because there's a fuse. <laughs> so, it indicates there, there's literally a timer at the end of the stick of dynamite. Morris is tagged in Sullivan. As Pillman comes back in the ring, he shoves a cameraman, and Bischoff tells the truck directly that if Pillman goes after a cameraman again, they are immediately to take the cameras off of him. Yeah. So again, they're trying to blend, uh, blur the line a little bit, and you know, mm -hmm. it's sort of known that Bischoff is also the executive producer, so alluding to the fact that he can talk to the truck and give them that kind of order is they're trying they're trying to work us here uh at one point sullivan no sells a pillman clothesline and they exchange an angry look that goes completely unremarked upon by the announcers um so it's a subtle little thing to the smarks to try to show that these two are starting to stiff each other and not be happy about it mm -hmm. uh shortly after that sullivan punches pillman who no sells it and they again look very angry and then they both just turn around and go tagging the other their partners like they're too angry to if you know if they stay in the ring together 
bad shit's going to happen. Yeah. And the fact that the announcers don't mention it at all does a good job of selling the reality. Uh, I didn't even pick up on it the first time I watched the match, and then I was reading The Observer, and he talked about it. And when I watched it again, I could pick out those spots where they no-sell and look legitimately mad at each other. So uh, Sullivan and Pillman, uh, you know, they're doing a good job working the boys because it was not really done in a way that was overtly for the audience. It was done very subtly. It went unremarked upon by everyone in the announce booth, even though Bischoff knows what's going on. So the fact that he refrained from from making a deal about it, pretty impressive. I, I thought it was a good job of advancing uh, that that thing they're trying to do. Especially since, like, Kevin Sullivan's not exactly known as, like, the king of subtly. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so getting getting him to kind of, like, get to that level is also probably a big accomplishment for Brian Pillman. Arn uh, looks confused on the apron after being tagged in. He just kind of stands there for a second. Like, uh, so I... I don't know if he's in on everything that's going on or not, but he's doing a good job of looking like he's not. That's for sure. With the ref distracted, uh, Pillman kicks Morris from outside the ring, but Morris no-sells to face him. Uh, Morris picks up Pillman by the neck and chokes him until Arn hits him in the back. Arn then hits what I have to be honest, a very lazy spinebuster on Hugh Morris. Oh, yeah, that didn't – I, I've, my impression was that like maybe when he grabbed him, it was like – he didn't like have a have him hold on right. Yeah, he's just like be. he's like, nope, this isn't gonna work out this time. Yeah, and it's weird because it seems like a feat of strength compared to how he usually does it, like just being able to pick a guy up that size and just dump him back on the mat. It seems kind of out of character. The timing must have been really off on it. Yeah, it's it's literally the only time I can remember an Arn Anderson spinebuster being disappointing. It's the it's the only one I've ever seen where yeah. I was like, oh, maybe maybe Hugh Morris kind of like sandbagged him a little bit. Could be, could be. Uh, I don't. I also don't know who this ref is. I, you know, the last guy I found out from Twitter is Jimmy Jet. I have yet to go to Twitter because I didn't want to go twice in the same week and admit I don't know who <laughs> these guys are. Um, but this yeah. guy does have a mullet and a mustache, so he fits in with our current crop. Um, so Jimmy Jet's now our clean cut one. Randy Anderson's our small one with a mullet and a mustache. Nick Patrick is our fat one with a mullet and a mustache, <laughs> and this guy is sort of vaguely Hispanic looking and has a mullet and a mustache. Okay. So uh, get on that. WCW uh, 20 Years of Nitro universe. <laughs> I still obviously don't have a name for our fans. <laughs> the horsemen keep Morris in the corner and take turns working him over until Arn locks in a face lock for a nice long rest. Morris almost works his way out of it, but Arn reaches out and tags in Pillman. Uh, at this point, Mongo says that letting Pillman stay a horseman is like loading a gun and giving it to a little kid. <laughs> Sooner or later, he's going to pull the trigger. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. That is a dark, dark <laughs> sentiment. That's an unexpected turn from Mongo. <laughs> the horsemen once again isolate Morris in the corner. On the outside, Pillman slams Morris into the guardrail. Uh, he stumbles back into the ring, and Arn drops a knee onto his face. Mongo and Bischoff giggle like idiots over the idea that hitting Morris in the head makes him more alert and awake. You know the best a, Eric Bischoff's like, don't you hate it when that happens when you hit a guy so hard? It's like, in what situation yeah. would that have happened with Bischoff? I I almost can't figure out if it's if he f is taking a shot at WWF that's so subtle I can't even get it because he's <laughs> giggling like he's really saying something naughty, but it's just it's baffling. It's really weird. Morris and Pillman go back and forth with punches and chops, but something Pillman does rubs Bill Demott the wrong way. Because he suddenly just brushes off everything they're doing and angrily goes in and tags Sullivan in. 
Like, it's just completely like, I don't know what Pillman was. It doesn't look like anything was stiff, but he just is like, nope, fuck this. I'm not working with this guy anymore. Angriest hot tag ever. <laughs> so he works. He walks over and takes Sullivan, and Pillman and Sullivan very quickly devolve into just angry punching, borderlining on, on pretty stiff real punches. But they're clearly still working because Sullivan gets Pillman in the tree of woe, which is a work spot that doesn't happen without cooperation, obviously. Crowd is really eating up Sullivan versus Pillman, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he then hits a running knee while Pillman is upside down in the corner, and everything just descends into a four-man brawl with Arn beating Sullivan all the way to the curtain. Uh, he then sets up a pile driver, but a mystery person behind uh, the curtain <laughs> breaks a broom across Arn's back, and he cannot complete the pile driver. <laughs> Back down by the ring, uh, a Pillman pile driver attempt is reversed into a back body drop. Morris rolls Pillman into the ring, and Sullivan is holding a leather strap, much like they will use in their respect match. The ref calls for the bell before it's even used, uh, continuing what we saw from Clash of the Champions, where the mere sight right. of a table being set up all the way <laughs> was enough for a DQ. Morris hits No Laughing Matter and holds Pillman's arms while Sullivan whips him. Pillman finally escapes and heads to the back while Bischoff demands that they take the camera off him even though he was just the victim of an assault. <laughs> <laughs> and and they kind of uh they kind of ignore the 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 mystery assailant <laughs> for the moment, yeah. For the moment, yeah. And they ignore that Hugh Morris almost totally misses the no laughing matter too. Like he just barely catches like his hands on Pillman. He overshoots him big time cuz he's so angry. So agile, he doesn't know his own strength. <laughs> I'd like to now go to an audio clip of a fantastic example of Bischoff uh, starting an idea with having no idea how he's going to finish it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Totally out of control tag team action here. Respect. A strap match. Super brawl. I'll tell you what. I'm looking forward to that one. So there you have Bischoff at his most uh, just dangling himself out on a line yeah. and not knowing what's going to come out of his mouth next. I thought that was really funny when I when I heard it. We then get a commercial, and as we come back, the delightful, as always, American Males theme plays, and out is Marcus Bagwell. Uh, out next is Flair, accompanied by the newly heel woman. As he makes his way out, he's uh, distracted by a guy in a neck brace who crosses the set behind him <laughs> yeah. for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Flair looks at it. I mean, it's clearly Paul Orndorff. They do not engage each other at all. And he has. There's a moment where he's looking where he's like, "Should I react to him? Yeah, or should I just keep going?" It must be that there was no way for Orndorff to get where he was to the announcer's booth where he's heading without crossing the stage. So, <laughs> right. so it just happened that way, and Flair was like caught completely by surprise by it. So he heads back to the ring, and Bischoff acknowledges that it is indeed Paul Orndorff who is now in the announcer's area. Orndorff says you never know when payback is going to happen, and Bischoff and Heenan make a bunch of terrible puns oh, uh, yes. involving brooms to not so subtly spell out to the audience that Orndorff was the mystery assailant with the broom. Yeah. So Orndorff has, has got a measure of revenge against the four horsemen for the pile driver on the concrete, by this time preventing a pile driver on the concrete. I guess it was lucky that he was standing behind the curtain with a broom and... Arn and Sullivan headed all the way back to exactly that spot for their pile driver spot. It's just, it's just weird how things work out sometimes. Even Mongo points out how obvious and unfunny the broom puns are. <laughs> and when yes. Mongo is the guy going, yeah. come on, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I I do remember that Bishop made it one. He's like, 
Huh? Huh? <laughs> and Mago wasn't buying it, and then Bischoff realized, yeah, okay. <laughs> After a commercial, Bischoff lets us know that Macho Man has brought Hogan to the hospital. Uh, back in the ring, Flair beats Bagwell down in a corner and uh, hits a real nasty chop at one point. But uh, Bagwell comes back with a back body drop before clotheslining Flair to the floor. Bagwell meets him on the outside with another clothesline. Back in the ring, Flair lures Bagwell into the corner and kicks him in the groin. Bagwell hits a series of punches, causing a Flair flop for a two count. Bagwell gets another backdrop and a drop kick for yet another two count. I liked, I liked how uh, very casually you said he kicked him in the groin. <laughs> <laughs> he is back it was a casual groin kick. Back in the corner and a kick in the groin. <laughs> Flair avoids another drop kick and uh, Heenan puts over how smart and great Flair is. <laughs> A figure four is reversed into an inside cradle for a two count. Then comes a really odd spot where both men are coming off opposite ropes and Flair goes for a flying forearm or something. Uh, And Bagwell takes it and then bounces back three or four feet into the ropes, whereupon he launches himself backwards over the ropes. It's hilarious and makes no sense. Yeah, Bobby Heenan, I think, tries to cover it by saying the Flair poked him in the eye. And I just like if that's the aftermath of it running eye poke he just goes flying over the top I, rope i also like the idea of a running like flied eye poke yeah they both go running towards each other he reaches out with the thumbs <laughs> back inside the ring flair hits a rolling knee drop he struts and hits some chops but bagwell fights his way back into the match with a big boot for a two count flair heads to the top rope for a, his patented split leg moonsault but <laughs> but believe it or not bagwell interrupts and tosses him to the mat for a two what Bagwell blocks a suplex and gives Flair a superplex of his own for yet another near fall. Bischoff lets us know that at Super Brawl we'll get Conan defending his United States title against the one-man gang in a rematch and a street fight between the Nasty Boys and Public Enemy, which after their short match of the Clash, I'm pretty excited to see that match, to be honest with you. Um, ju- just a comment about the superplex. Yeah. I, I guess I realize, I mean, I've kind of realized this like throughout Ric Flair's career, he does a lot of bumps onto his back, which is like so weird since he broke his back in back in the seventies. And if you watch, and he he points this out in his book, he does not take a straight back bump like other right. wrestlers do. Yeah, he does it on his side and kind of rolls through it a little bit. Yeah, I just I always found it was like remarkable that like because I knew the th- the thing about like landing on his side, but they put him in so many positions where he has to do that, and it just seems remarkable that like r- at this point. In WCW, the guy taking the most bumps is a guy like in his mid forties. Yes, the oldest guy in the roster who had back surgery twenty years earlier, right. who survived a fucking plane crash. <laughs> right. Well, I, after a plane crash, a second rope superplex. I mean, no wonder it didn't put him away. <laughs> On his way back into the ring, Bagwell goes for a slingshot splash, but Flair gets his knees up. Flair styles and profiles into the figure four and gets the submission win. Uh, but he will not release the hold after the bell, and he pops the ref in the face for so much as suggesting that he should. <laughs> it's not until uh, Randy Macho Man Savage runs down and chases Flair away that the hold is broken, and that uh, is the end of that segment. What did you guys think of this match between Flair and Bagwell? You know, I would just say, between this week and last week, I thought like when you hit referees, like you have probation or potentially, potentially were suspended, but like... They don't even bat an eye anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to note that Hogan, Flair, and the Giant were all on probation. Mm-hmm. Hogan uh, violated that and ended up suspended. 
it was never announced that Giant or Flair's probation ended. Right. You would think that Hogan coming back from suspension would still be on probation. Yeah. Yet they're constantly threatening and or hitting referees. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's just is, dropped and yeah, never comes and up And Macho again. Man knocks down a referee right up by the ramp to the the locker room, too. This is the second week in the row where Ric Flair is like, I'm just going to hit this referee. And no one even, like, says anything about it. <laughs> um, but what you're asking is, like, I thought it was a really good match. I, um, Considering we've only really seen Bagwell in tag team action, um, though he, like, because, like, between him and Scotty Riggs, no one really dominates as far as, like, the majority of their matches. So yeah. um, as far as, like, him being in singles action, I haven't seen a whole lot of it up to this point. But I was pretty impressed. Um, it could also be that he's in the ring with Ric Flair, who can make anyone look really good. But uh, I was really surprised of how competitive this match, like, how much I was convinced it was a competitive match. Right. Yeah, I thought it was good because it's it's Flair getting a really solid win that he d- he barely even really cheats for, you know, mm-hmm. except for the casual groin kicks and thumbs in the eye and things like that. But it's good for him to beat a guy convincingly, and it's good for Bagwell just to be in the ring with Flair. Mm-hmm. To me, it was a little too much offense by Bagwell in this match. Um, sure. You know, you talk about Bret Hart making Rad Radford look like yeah. a real threat to the championship. Uh-huh. Same kind of thing for me. Uh, yeah. yeah, Flair got the victory, and it was it was clean as a sheet. But uh, to me, it just was a little too much Bagwell offense. And it's fine if they were going to push Bagwell, uh, but I think a couple of his miscues in this match show that he's not quite ready for prime time. Yeah, you know, he needs to stick in the tag division for a little bit longer, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just mm-hmm. not his time to have this kind of match with a legend like Flair. In, in my humble opinion. After a commercial, the Road Warriors come out, and uh, next is Sting and Luger. They come out together to Sting's music, but they do walk out separately. Uh, I don't think the announcers get into it this time, though, luckily. Uh, Mongo tells us that everyone goes to the Indy 500 to watch car crashes, but you can see those every week on Nitro. Uh, that's fucked up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we get an LOD chant as Animal and Sting start off and lock up. Animal wins the power struggle and shoves Sting to the mat. Animal gets Sting down again with a scoop slam and goes for his big jumping elbow, but Sting rolls away. Sting gets a kick followed by a horrible bulldog because he's Sting. <laughs> and this is not a face buster, like a standing face buster. This is a legitimate bulldog that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and a flying clothesline off the top rope. Hawk and Luger are tagged in, and a Luger chant can clearly be heard. We get some back and forth action. Oh! You know, that's actually notable. I don't want to move on from that because, like I said earlier, this is a very by-the-book crowd for heels and faces, uh-huh. but they treat Luger as a full-blown baby face. He's, like, the one exception. So, l- as we've seen in a lot of towns lately, WCW crowds are totally hot for Luger right now. They love Luger. I And could it possibly be that, like, since he's teaming with Sting, the fans are like, no, we can accept that, so we can accept him as being a good guy now? It could be, or maybe they're recognizing that this whole, like, pretending like he's an enthusiastic good guy but then cheating anyway right it, i mean it's the best work of luger's career in my opinion for and sure maybe the crowd is legitimately acknowledging that like we love this persona for luger because for the first time he's killing it yeah back and forth action leads to a luger pile driver uh the camera angle is such that you clearly see that hawk's head doesn't hit the mat and bischoff immediately says that it didn't connect so this time hawk's no selling actually makes sense 
because it's the oh, it's the right. spot where Hawk pops up from a pile driver. But since we clearly saw his head didn't hit the mat, for once I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't actually notice that. I was actually going to bitch about that because that used to be Lex Luger's finisher, um, oh, along sure. with the torture rack. So of all people to kick out of that, you know. Right yeah, away. if the if the camera angle had been different, or if Bischoff hadn't like pointed out that it didn't connect. I'd be mad about it, but mm-hmm. in this one case, a botch actually helped, like a technical botch, not a move botch, but like camera placement. Yeah. It actually helped help things make sense. We get a shoulder tackle from Hawk, and uh, Lex tags in Sting. Hawk whips Sting into the corner and hits a running clothesline and some chops. Mongo calls Luger's tag from moments earlier, good tagsmanship. <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> Stinger fights back with a Singer Splash. Animal comes in and disrupts an attempt to lock on the Scorpion Deathlock. Hawk uses the break uh, in order to tag in Animal. Leapfrog by Sting and Luger pulls down the top rope, causing Animal to fall to the outside. He climbs back into the ring as Sting tags in Luger, who takes it to Animal with some kicks. Sting looks angry in the corner at Luger's cheap tactics with uh, pulling the rope down earlier. A huge LOD chant starts up again as Luger runs into a big boot in the corner. Animal clubs Luger around a bit, but Luger fights back before hitting a scoop slam and some elbow drops. He does the the Dolph Ziggler like multiple elbow drops in a row kind of thing. Yeah, I it's it looks good. It's one of the better parts of Luger's offense. For me. Are you sure Dolph Ziggler isn't doing the Lex Luger multiple oh, elbow of, drops? Of, of course, I'm just relating it to <laughs> no. uh, the young crowd, <laughs> the the kids out there who are wondering why we spend so much time talking about that skinny guy in the wheelchair in all of the WWE documentaries. What oh. the hell is a Lex Luger? <laughs> that was that was the. That was the sequence I was trying to mention a few weeks ago when Luger got like his fourth straight win against Savage. Yeah, remember when he hit a couple, then Savage was getting up, and then Luger improvised by kicking him back down. Oh yeah, to finish it. Yes. And I was like, I was impressed with his improvisational skills. Yes. Yeah, I did. I had no idea what else to call it. So like, the Dolph Ziggler elbow drops that works. <laughs> so, uh, the feed suddenly skips ahead, and Sting is dominating Animal with a front face lock. Uh, the WWE Network version of this show just has a brief message that lets you know that problems with the original broadcast yeah. uh, happened, and that's why they're presenting it in the best possible you know, record that they have. Right. Uh, what the Network version doesn't tell you is they actually cut off about 30 seconds, uh, where Bischoff declares that there was a power outage and not so subtly implies that it was uh, WWF like rogue agents <laughs> that competition <caused> dice <laughs> so so he did that live on air the wwe network version for whatever reason just cuts that entirely for whatever well reason. yeah that's got to be just to fit their narrative right <laughs> uh we get some lod chance to bring animal back to his feet but he can't stop sting from tagging in luger who comes in and hits a huge power slam animal manages a desperation belly to back suplex for a two count but sting breaks it up hawk dumps sting to the outside where they brawl Back in the ring, Luger gets a vertical suplex on Animal, but Animal no-sells. Animal hits a power slam on Lex, and Jimmy Hart shows up. He tries to hit Animal with a very large foreign object that (laughs) the best guess from the announcers is that it's a lead weight used to hold doors open. (laughs) It would probably do that. That thing looked pretty heavy. (laughs) It definitely would hold a door open. No argument here. Uh, but Animal knocks it onto the ring steps, and it makes a very loud bang on the steps. <laughs> Lex rolls out of the ring, fetches it, <laughs> and uses a Jimmy Hart distraction to nail Animal in the kidneys. Luger covers for the three, and Lex does the uh, Daniel Bryan-style over-exuberant and yeah. undeserved celebration <laughs> from Daniel Bryan's heel run, which was probably my favorite 
Daniel Bryan era other than like just, WrestleMania 30. I just like how seemingly hitting him in the kidneys like knocks him out. <laughs> well, it probably hurts like a son of a bitch. But but he he lays there like yeah. he's knocked out. Yeah. Uh, Sting looks uncertain, but they head to the back with the belts. <laughs> mean Gene uh, wanders into the ring, and we get a Road Warriors promo, and let's hear that now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have with me the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal. First of all, before I get to you, let me point out. Come, I, here, come here, listen to me. We're not asking, we're demanding. We want a match with the winner, a stinging Luger, and that stinking Harlem Heat. Okay, but what, what happened here? I, I think uh, Animal, correct me if I'm wrong, it's no secret you've had back problems over the past few years. It looked to me like Lex Luger went after that back. We owe some Gene Ogilvy. My back wasn't right. But the past is in the past. Everybody in the world knows nobody can beat the World Warriors Legion of Doom fair and square. We're the man of WCW. You hear us? If we have to beat everybody up to get that match, Super Brawl. We want a match of the winner between Arnold Eaton Luger and the Luger Sting. We're going to stop at nothing to see that we get you at the end of the night. Nothing at all. I'm going to tell you something. It's getting extreme, Mean Gene. Extreme, brother. You don't want to do this to us. You don't want to do it. But now you have. And now you must pay the price. Let's go. All right, Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors. You heard what they had to say. This Sunday night at Super Bowl, they want the winner of the Lex Luger Sting and Harlem Heat match. Right now, let's take you back to Bobby Heenan, Mongo, and Eric Bischoff. So, unlike their uh, promo from Clash of the Champions, I feel like this is they've got their promo feet back under them. It's not great, but it, it was serviceable. I'm pretty sure Hawk actually refers to them as the Legion of Doom during the promo, too. <laughs> <laughs> we get some Super Brawl plugging to end the show. Uh, Mongo recommends that in order to prepare ourselves for watching Super Brawl, we go run our faces over a chain link fence so that we understand how brutal the matches will be. <laughs> he always has the worst recommendations. That's really bad advice, you know. <laughs> Somewhere a kid probably tried that, and, uh, and his parents oh, no, never let him do. watch wrestling again. You know, and he understood how hardcore those matches really are. <laughs> and so they didn't order it. <laughs> In our Raw recap, Shawn Michaels and Diesel defeated Davey Boy Smith and Yokozuna de- uh, via countout. The one, two, three kid defeated Hakushi, and in the main event, WWF World Champion Bret Hart fought The Undertaker to a draw to uh, retain his title. In the ratings war, Nitro again was the victor with a 2.9 to Raw's 2.7. So they're continuing a good streak here. Uh, Who was your MVP of this particular show, John? Uh... I guess I go with Ric Flair because I enjoyed that match the most, and I felt like uh, character-wise he benefited from it, and I think Bagwell did too. And yeah, overall I really enjoyed that segment. My MVP, I'm going to give it to Brian Pillman this week. Uh, I liked the subtle progression of the loose cannon character. Uh, I don't exactly understand the money in working the boys. I I don't necessarily understand the intelligence behind it but if it's something you're setting out to do uh this was a week where he did a great job of doing it the the little things they did were subtle enough to really have uh people wondering you know what was a work and what wasn't um you know i've mentioned in past weeks that in the observer Meltzer is fully on the getting worked uh side of things oh yeah but he does start to 
put more questions into it this week, mainly because of the uh, Tree of Woe spot. He's like, after they did these things that seemed to be shoots, they did some things that were clearly a work. Yeah. So he's a little on the fence not knowing, but but he's now he's allowing for the possibility that it's all a work um, and starting to kind of, of get those clues. So, But overall, I thought that Pillman did a great job. Um, this was, you know, he still did some of his bullshit stuff, but he also wrestled more than he has in the past mm-hmm. in, in his matches where he's getting over this character. So he's going to be my MVP. Dave, what about you? I'm going to give my MVP to Woman for turning heel, um, which she just should be in the first place. Yep. Not having to sit there with like the vacant expression with Elizabeth. Right. She, she's just worth a lot more than that, and being a heel it has always worked for her. She's a good partner for Flair, too, specifically. And yeah. yeah, that, yeah. T- that's a great tandem. Um, and so, like, the, the show didn't have a lot of like really standout performances. So the fact that, like, woman since her return because it was just like kind of sad to see her like standing next to like linda and like yeah. whomever just like pl- applauding hogan it wasn't really her character so i'm gonna give it to her for kind of getting back on track all right my segment of the night is brian pillman and arn anderson and their match against the taskmaster and hugh morris i that match uh, uh you know i overall i enjoyed this episode but i have a hard time thinking of like great moments from it it just it had a good pacing. Uh, none of the matches were bad, so though nothing was great, it it breezed by. And like last week, I think it is a step in the right direction for a Nitro show that had kind of got bogged down for a while. Uh, John, what was your segment of the night? Uh, I'm gonna go with Bagwell versus Ric Flair, and yeah, I just want to say like you guys had mentioned that um, woman adds a lot to Ric Flair's character. Um, she like adds a lot of like the sort of ladies man thing because she always seems really concerned about him and and especially she um, is kind of night and day with how Elizabeth uh, doesn't really do anything at ringside whereas she likes to get like physical and stuff like that so I would go with that segment. All right, Dave, what was your segment of the night? Uh, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go the same thing. I'm gonna go with Bagwell and Flair, uh, in particular, <laughs> Bagwell throwing himself over the top rope. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, just as a side note, just the I also just thinking about Chris Benoit crashing down. Oh God, that's so rough. <laughs> like <laughs> those two particular moments, just for different reasons, yeah. stood out the most. So, uh, all right. But in general, I would say Flair Bagwell. But like you said, Bagwell, I think did get a little bit too much offense. But overall, I think like the ending in the match worked really well yes uh, absolutely so, yeah i would go with that match all right well i kind of breezed through i mean i i read everything that happened but i i tried to move quickly because there's a lot of stuff from this week's wrestling observer okay. if you have an observer membership i i definitely urge you to check out the february 12th 1996 issue and really over the next few weeks as as you listen to the show if you have an observer membership i'd read those issues because a lot of interesting shit starts happening backstage between these two companies um, and, and it's like every week is just an epic story of, of these two uh, companies going to war. So uh, what what first um, he gets to in this issue is a great analysis of the billionaire Ted stuff and what WWF strategy is. Uh, what they're really trying to do is raise questions about WCW's financial health and bring up allegations of a drug culture in order to trigger a review of the division by Time Warner a multinational, multi-billion dollar, multimedia conglomerate 
that is in the early stages of completing a merger with Turner Broadcasting. Originally uh, announced in September of 1995, the same month that Nitro debuted, this merger is a massive undertaking, and as part of that undertaking, Time Warner will have to perform due diligence on the assets they are acquiring. WCW is a small drop in the bucket that probably wouldn't manage much attention normally, mm-hmm. especially since in 95, uh, Bischoff managed to turn a small profit with the company. So there's no reason that, that Time Warner would really look at it that much. Uh, but Vince is trying to raise all these questions, hoping that Time Warner will look into WCW, decide if they want to be in the wrestling business at all, and perhaps kill off the division entirely. And it's, it's you know, anyone who knows the history of WCW in general knows that ultimately Vince is not wrong. He's just uh, way too short on his time frame. You know, he thinks this is going to happen now during the merger. Um, it is a lot of Time Warner and eventually AOL's attitude about owning a wrestling company that does kill WCW, yeah. um, but it happens years down the road. Vince also runs an ad in the financial section of the New York Times and I think the Wall Street Journal. Uh, it's it's New York Times, another paper. I, I can't remember the other one. On February 7th, asking investors why they would allow Ted Turner to waste $40 million of their money to pursue what he frames as a personal vendetta against the WWF. <laughs> uh, as we mentioned, Vince's in <laughs> Vince's head, the reason this is all happening is that Ted Turner wanted to buy WWF, which is probably true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like that's true. But that when he couldn't, he became so enraged that he made it his life's work to put them out of business, which is almost assuredly not true. <laughs> right. So, do you think Vince actually like, actually believed that? I do. I 100% do. Yeah. Uh, he has such a persecution complex. You know, look at something like um, Stephanie comparing 9-11 to the steroid trial. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's something that in her head makes perfect sense. And that is because she is the, you know, she's been brought up by Vince, who is a paranoid obsessive um and in some degrees that works out for the best of us fans honestly mm-hmm. but in some degrees it's just you get this stuff like the monday night wars which is just vince jacking off over his story of how he personally beat ted turner uh, even though ted turner was for the most part barely interested <laughs> in the whole thing himself yeah uh ted turner's obsession during the time his real fight was about trying to merge with Time Warner and and maintain a level of power that he enjoyed in Turner Broadcasting, mm-hmm. that was what he was dealing with. What WCW was a very, very small footnote in that story for Ted yeah, Turner. Yeah, the impression I always got was with, with Ted Turner, it was like the wrestling thing was more of a hobby. Yes. And that's like to the point, like, because he, he had so much money, like the tens of millions of dollars, is it wasn't, that much to him and he liked wrestling he yeah. personally just enjoyed it and he wanted it on his networks and if it wasn't going to be wwf because they didn't want to sell to him mm-hmm. and when he they had a deal with wwf it included things that wwf reneged on like uh shooting a studio show in atlanta which they just didn't do and putting out original content when what wwf actually did was repackage already aired content mm-hmm. so turner said okay if i can't deal with you guys i'm gonna just buy my own and do it that way yeah so you know, it, it really is just not the way that Vince frames it at all. The Observer then goes on to a great uh, bit of kind of description on the Pillman match that we broke down tonight and all the little ways they played with it being a shoot. Uh, it's just a really fascinating piece of wrestling history to get a, like, 
contemporary account of the Pillman stuff by Meltzer, not looking at it in hindsight with what, you know, mm-hmm. his historical description, but what he said at the time yeah. is really interesting to read. Yeah, because, I mean, I was kind of feeling like, well, it's really easy now to look back and be like, this is what was going on, so this is the way you, you should look at this match. Yep. Whereas it sounds like at the time, Meltzer, Metzer, Meltzer. Dave Meltzer. Um, it sounds like to him when he was watching, he was like, what was intentional? What wasn't intentional? Right. Um, that in 96, that was like even it was apparent then. Right. Last. Uh, well, not lastly. Meltzer also breaks down uh, the interesting fact that WCW has always done better than the WWF in cable ratings. It's just that they were not airing head to head Saturday night on average did better than WWF where WWF kicked WCW's ass was in the syndicated side of things. Uh, but, but cable is a much more desirable rating than syndication. So he, he points that out and he says that it's very smart for Bischoff to sell this as a new trend because it, it creates the idea of a victory and the perception of momentum, Mm -hmm. even though what, what the case is, is actually more of a, status quo in terms of of what's actually happening with cable ratings yeah the very last thing that you can note from this particular issue of the observer is that it is the first appearance of a note that there has been a lot of talk and concern within the wwf that either or both diesel and razor ramon may go to wcw when their contracts expire dun 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 (laughs) guess we'll see what happens so that is uh that is a jam-packed bit of news and I can, spoiler alert, I, I can tell you that over the next few weeks, every episode is going to be like that with a ton happening uh, that we get from The Observer and other news sources as to the backstage uh, war that is going on. And that starts to become, in some ways, more interesting than the on-screen product, uh, at least for a couple months here. This yeah. week it definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that really brings us to the end of the show. Um, I, I kind of already said my overall opinions on the episode John, uh, what did you think? Did you think this was a good episode? A you know, uh, uh, it was fine. I don't know. I mean, uh, I I don't remember this episode like at all. So it was nice to kind of go, th- kind of watch it like it was brand new. For some reason, I thought Sting and Luger beat the Road Warriors after like Sting or Luger took like animals like shoulder pads or something and hit him with them. Am I thinking of a totally different match? That might must be. I mean, that might be either at Super Brawl or... Or did the New Age Outlaws maybe do that way down the road or something? <laughs> did it maybe happen once at some time? Was it a fever dream? It was. Did you <laughs> yes. dream that you did it to yes. <laughs> beat the Road Warriors? I hit myself with one of his shoulder pads. <laughs> All right, Dave, What were, uh, overall, thumbs up, thumbs down? Um, I, I still I'm disappointed in the way that they have been booking the Road Warriors, uh, especially just throwing this title match on Nitro right before Super Brawl when uh, Clash of Champions was all about like they're the champions yeah. here comes this top tag team that's coming back why wouldn't that be why couldn't you do something to hype that as being the match at Super Brawl instead of like is anyone interested there's like no interest being built with uh, Harlem Heat yeah. and Sting and Luger um, but you, I, I, you know I kind of skipped past it but in that Road Warriors promo they did say that they will have a match at Super Brawl against the winner of the Sting Luger Harlem Heat match 
So, um, yeah, I, I know they said that they wanted to take on the winner. I yeah. didn't know if that was specifically. Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. it's, it's not confirmed, but I'll, I'll tell you, spoiler alert, that <laughs> does happen at Super Brawl. Right. Yeah, I think Hawk says they want a match against the winners, and then Animal just says they want a match against Sting and Luger at Super <laughs> Brawl. So yeah. uh, yell loud enough and you'll get it. Yeah, so so to run down the card for Super Brawl real quick, because uh, that'll take place before we come to our next episode, uh, we're going to get uh, Conan defending the United States title against the one-man gang. We're going to get Lex Luger and Sting versus Harlem Heat uh, defending. Sting and Luger will be defending their tag team championships. Uh, Kevin Sullivan versus Brian Pillman in an I Quit match. Mm-hmm. Randy Respect Macho- match. Respect match. Thank you. Thank you. How could I forget? Uh, Randy Savage will de- t- defend the WCW World Heavyweight title against Ric Flair inside a steel cage. Uh, and the Giant and Hulk Hogan will also meet in a singles match inside a steel cage. In the main event. I believe that is the entire card. Yeah, I think so because I think their pay per views oh, were Street Fight, uh, Nasty Boys, yep, and right. Public Enemy. Oh yeah, looking for that. Yeah, I, I on paper I'd say that's a that sounds like a great show. Mm-hmm. So we will come back next week and we will see uh, how Super Bowl panned out and all of the after effects thereof. Here where the big boys play. Twenty years, O Nitro. I think Arn Anderson's out of his mind letting this guy remain a full horseman. It's like loading a gun and giving it to a kid. Sooner or later, he's going to pull the trigger.